We're in 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. With a, a pretty obvious question, uh, and I think an answer that you will find very obvious in your head come up, but is it possible uh, to be blessed by God and not even realize it? There's this verse in Ecclesiastes. I want you to read it with me. We're going to look at it two different ways. It depends on how you stress the and in this verse, it seems to me. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, a bunch of things all together, this is the gift of God. Now that's one way you can read it, but if you stress the and, I think the next screen does that, is that right? Make sure, no? Yeah, okay, there, see I just underline it. Just an underline, a simple underline, it's all Now imagine reading it like this. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them as if these are two different blessings. Like, I can bless you with stuff, but not bless you with the ability to enjoy the stuff. It's like it's a totally separate touch from God. It's like, maybe, maybe if God doesn't bless you with the ability to enjoy them, the, the blessing of them in themselves becomes almost a curse because you have stuff, but you don't know how to enjoy the stuff that God gives you. Two totally different things. Now, that may be reading too much into it. Might, might possibly be, but the truth is still there. It's the idea that God blesses the world with all sorts of things, but the world doesn't know where they come from. Christians, on the other hand, not only know the blessings God gives us, but we know where they come from, how we can give him thanks for it, and know that it says something about our creator when he gives them. To us. It's like everything should have a sticker on it, just like your Christmas gifts for Christmas time has the to and from sticker, at least it's supposed to, and so that you, when you get it, you rip it open, you won't, you won't want, well, who gave me, no, no, look at the sticker. It came from somebody for a reason, so you can go back and give them thanks for it, and what a Christian knows is this, every good thing you have has a sticker on it, and it says to you from God, right? And we have this wonderful blessing, this ability to know where it comes from. I thought about that with this little paragraph we're in in 2 Samuel chapter 5. These little paragraphs right here that close out chapter 5, these are almost disconnected and almost becomes useless to kind of put them together, but we're going to do it just because we can. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 11. And Hiram, this is after David has conquered Jerusalem. Finally, the unconquerable city is his. He challenged his people, and they conquered it, and it's his. And then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons who built David a house. Now, this is quite a welcome to the kingdom gift here from a Gentile over there on the Mediterranean Sea. So David becomes the king of both Judah and Israel, he gets his capital city, Jerusalem, and suddenly a Gentile, unbelieving Gentile king from a little bit uh, east of him, west of him, sends him the special gift. It's like he's trying to show favor and try to win an alliance with David, and it's got all these things, these, these cedar trees and these carpenters and these people who can build, and he builds David a house. And here's what David knew. 
It's interesting to me, the very next verse. David knew the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. When Hiram sent this wonderful, extravagant gift, David says to himself, this is God establishing me in the world. Now, that's not an obvious connection, not to everybody. But to David, this was obvious. God is blessing him. We saw this in Daniel with our VBS. You remember this? Daniel, it's just like somehow or another, he just did his job and lived his life, and God blessed him with favor uh, in the eyes of people who weren't even believers like him. The, the people who provided his food, the people who, uh, the kings even, were favorably disposed towards Daniel because of his life. We know this from Joseph, too, that Joseph, everywhere he went, he had favor in the eyes of other people. God's people, when they just do what pleases God, God grants them this position or disposition of favor in the eyes of other people. This, these aren't the most obvious examples. Let me, let me read a partial verse and you finish the rest of it. You know this about Jesus, Luke chapter 2. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You think that's accidental? This very same verse basically is applied to Samuel in the Old Testament too. God says, you, you do my will and you live and I will bless you and I will grant you favor in the eyes of other people. And 1 Peter, we're told this is to be our disposition, right? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong or though they suspect you or though they look at you funny, they will, you will be one. It's kind of like you win them over when you live your life honorably. Do such good works among men. Be salt and light that your good works may be seen and God may be glorified. And so for one, for one thing in this particular uh, verse, as you just kind of put this random paragraph in there, is you're seeing that David is given favor in the world, not just among his own people, but in the world, in the eyes of unbelievers, because he's faithful to God. You'll also see that he had children, verse 13. Again, these are random thoughts that we're putting together here. David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. After he came from Hebron, more sons and daughters were born to him. He had 19 sons total. And these were the names of the ones born to him in Jerusalem, and you see all those names on there. God had blessed him, and God says, I'm going to bless you with a dynasty, right? And here come the children, and God's starting to bless him with offspring. And this dynasty of Judah starts with David. It's probably not the best way to have done this. We've, we are given this warning in Deuteronomy 17, what kings will do. They will take your daughters as their wives, have multiple wives and concubines and have all sorts of children. And he does. This is the promise God made to David. I don't know if this is the best way for him to do it. But he blesses him. He blesses him and is faithful to the covenant that he's going to make with David in a short time. So what you have so far is that he's got favor and he's got offspring. And then he's got victory. I want you to notice in verse 17 beginning. This is the reason the people wanted a king. They wanted to overthrow the Philistines. 
And when Saul became king, he couldn't quite do it. And it became a thorn in his side all the way through until they finally killed him on Mount Gilboa. But here's David's turn. David is now king. And it seems like they didn't really care about David being king of Judah. It's like this little bitty nation state. They didn't care. But as soon as the Israelites of the north decided to unite with the south, the Philistines take notice. They don't want this to happen. So we pick up the story, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines, not a part of them, not certain groups, they got together, they united. All the Philistines went up and searched for David, but David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. He started doing his guerrilla warfare tactics that he was known for. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. This is Israelite territory, but they were never able to defend it. They weren't able to fight in this valley, south and east of Jerusalem, within sight of the capital city of Jerusalem, but they were never able to defend this. And David inquired of the Lord, as he always did, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, and this is how he names the city, the area, the Lord has broken through my enemies, enemies before me like a breaking flood. He perceived as he was attacking his enemies, it's like someone was there breaking through like a flood of water. And he knew who that someone was. And he named it a breaking through place, Baal Perazim. The Philistines left their idols there. David carried them away. And according to 1 Chronicles 14, he burned them all. Isaiah 28, chapter 28, verse 21, makes reference to this battle. And scholars will tell you, it's, it's, they say this is the most significant battle of David's life. Because if he'd lost right here, the nation would have never been united. It was every bit like uh, the D-Day landings of World War II. And apparently that's true, at least in Isaiah's day, when he can just make reference to the name of the battle and everybody's supposed to remember what it was. This was when he defeated the Philistines. This is when Israel became one nation under David's leadership. So he consults him. But that's not the last time. Verse 22 says the second war that we're going to cover. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And so they, they think this is where they've got to dig in their heels, right? And when David inquired of the Lord yet again, he said, you will not go up against them, but go around to their rear and come up against the opposite of the balsam trees. This is one of the coolest battles in the Old Testament. And when, go up, hide in those balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the balsam trees, Rouse yourself, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike out the army of the Philistines. God is marching. God is on the march. He's gone out before you, and you can attack then. But you wait on the Lord. The Lord will do the battle. David did as the Lord commanded him, struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. And they never really bothered him again during his time as king. So what does all this disconnected stuff say to us? We as God's people living in the kingdom of God need to do this. We need to manage our lives. We need to be salt. We need to be light. We need to live the kind of God, lives God wants us to live. 
and trust in him to give us favor. Even in an unbelieving world, the church still can gain favor when we do things God's way. It reminds me of 2009, this ice storm that came through. You remember it well. Many of you were without electricity for weeks. We didn't have electricity at our house for five weeks. I never thought I'd ever see a time like that. But, we, but the only place in Kennett, Missouri that had power was the church building because we were right next to Sealite Gas and Water. How convenient. And so the church building just built this new building, had this big area, you know, we had the basketball goals on each end, and this big room and all this stuff. And, 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 and we were the only ones with power. And we thought, what is our responsibility living in a community with no power and we have power? What should we do here? We wanted, to, we wanted to open up and let people sleep there. But when the Red Cross came in, they said, you're not allowed to let them sleep here. It's against our rules and regulations. These two people drove up in a pinto and told us, we're with the Red Cross and you can't do this. And I, I often wondered what, anyway, so, so um, I, I'm, I, I'm not Red Cross fans. And they said, because your auditorium isn't capable for sleeping. I said, I want you to know, I preach every Sunday morning, and I'm telling you, this auditorium is more than capable of letting people sleep comfortably. We can do sleep studies every Sunday morning. I promise you, people can sleep here. No, they can't because you don't have this and this and this and this. So we couldn't do that. Frustrated about that, give the Red Cross your blood and leave it at that. But anyway, so... so um, so what we decided to do is we're gonna prepare meals for the workers. There were workers from everywhere trying to restore electricity. All over the country, they'd come in. I don't know what they did for housing and stuff, but they had no meal stuff. So we decided we're gonna provide a meal and every day for three whole weeks, lunch, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we had volunteers come in and, and made meals there. And it, it, it was fascinating. It was one of those wonderful ministry opportunities I can ever remember. They honored us with all sorts of awards. But the funny thing was, is as much as everybody really respected us for doing that, I can't recall a single person who ever responded to the gospel from it. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it if that's going to do it. I am saying our job is not just to earn favor. It's not just to have a good reputation in the world. We should strive for that. We should do the things that people find honorable and, and give us a good reputation, but that's not where it stops. We need to cross this bridge to, to something more. And, and, and so uh, I think we need to be the kind of people who do what God calls us to, whether it's fruitful or not. Let's be faithful and do it and gain favor in the world. God will bless us with those opportunities and bless us with that favor, and then we've got to use it. We've got to cash it in sometime. We've got to keep reproducing ourselves as David did. We've got to be the people who grow the kingdom one person at a time, snatching them from the world of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, bring them into the kingdom of light. And the third thing I would say, we've been given this incredible victory over the consequences of our sin. The penalty of sin has been paid. We still, however, need to give our attention to the power of sin in our lives. It still is a force in our lives that we seek to break its hold on us. We should seek to 
defeat our arch nemesis. For David, it was the Philistines. For us, it is our sin. God has equipped us for everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. He's granted us this ability to defeat sin. I love the fact that you'll never have to pay for your sin. I want us to go up one better. I want us to be a group of people who defeat the power of sin in our lives and we live holy lives because we know that God's blessed us this way. God has blessed us. We are blessed people and we know it. We're told that David realized it too. One last verse we're going to look at. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That introductory stuff that everybody just kind of goes, yeah, that's kind of like every other letter and goes on. I find this fascinating what he says, these three things. To those who are the elect, disciple, the elect exiles, this is the same word that Abraham calls himself as a foreigner, an alien, of the dispersion scattered throughout. And he said three things. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, God knows you and has blessed you. He knew you before you were born. And it's in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. God has blessed you with this incredible work of the Holy Spirit in you. God has foreknown you. God has sanctified you through his Holy Spirit for something. He's chosen you for something. Notice the third one, for obedience. We get excited and we talk about, you know, you're on the playground and, and uh, somebody's picking teams and you're always the last one picked and you feel so bad. God comes along and God picks you. But can I tell you something? God doesn't pick you just because you're purdy. God picks you because he wants you to play. He wants you to perform. And so he chooses you. He provides you with his Holy Spirit just like he did David. He chose David, gave him his Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. We now have the blessing of God. We've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. We have been blessed by his sanctifying Holy Spirit. Now, let's be people who live obedient lives and produce some fruit with the blessing he's given us. David recognized it that day. He began to see all the evidence coming in. God is blessing me, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to go out there and use the blessing to defeat my enemies and grow the kingdom of God. May we have the same exact attitude. You've been blessed by God. Use the blessing to expand the kingdom. Live your life obediently, using the blessing of God to serve him. He didn't pick you just to bless you. He picked you to use you in the kingdom. And it's the greatest honor any human created being can have. And you've got it. Now go use it. If there's any need that you have this evening, please make it known as we stand and sing.